Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Now, Dr. Joseph Michelli is a returning guest. I've been so glad to have him on the podcast before. He previously brought us insights for creating incredible customer experiences with products and services back in episodes 147 and 251. Now, much has changed in this year, 2020. It is not the year we expected at all. The adversity has created a need for resilience, and some product managers have responded to the challenge, making pivots and finding value where it had not previously existed. Many organizational leaders have learned on the fly how to navigate those challenges, and it has been a struggle. We can learn from the leaders who have been successful, and that is what Joseph is here to help us with. He talked with over 140 global business leaders, including leaders at Google, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, Feeding America, United Way, Verizon, Southwest Airlines, and many more. And he compiled the timely lessons learned in a new book called Stronger Through Adversity. Now, as we go through the discussion, if you hear anything you want to refer back to, we take detailed notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide for you to take action on what we're talking about. You'll find those resources at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 310. Now, let's talk with Joseph. Joseph, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. I think this is your third time with us. Yeah, I'm going to get it right sooner or later, Chad, and then you, I won't have to keep, you won't have to keep putting me back through class. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all. You're the one always helping to school us here. You are no stranger to writing books. You have a long history of, of examining high-performing organizations and then sharing the insights that you learn with everyone through books that you do, as well as workshops and speaking engagements. This book is a little bit different that we're going to talk about called Stronger Through Adversity. And I'm curious, because it is different, we'll, we'll get into the details in a moment about the, some of the content that's relevant to product managers. But I always like examining products on their product journey as well. And this was a product journey, and it was kind of different, I think, than some of your past past writings. So I wonder if you can take us on that journey a little bit, where the idea came from, how you actually you know, did the interviews, collected the data, what you did with that, how this ended up in a book. Yeah, I had my formulaic product thing all lined out. I mean, I had a plan going into 2020. And then, as Mike Tyson once said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then suddenly you have to kind of change your plan. And that's what happened to me. I was in late February. I was scheduled to go to the Godiva manufacturing plant in Pennsylvania. I had been a consultant for Godiva for years, had helped them kind of elevate the customer experience in their retail shops. How did you get somebody to come into your store in a mall when they could buy your product? Also over at Macy's for 40% off in the friends and family rate. But you're going to have to pay full boat if you went into the Godiva retail footprint in the mall. So I was already, I mean, I worked that journey. I'd done the, you know, the, the stuff there and we had a book deal on the table for 2021. McGraw-Hill, Godiva, everybody, we're all in this together, excited. February, heading to the plant just to interview a few people. And then out of an abundance of caution, I uh, didn't, didn't get to go. And, and so, and they said, we need to put a pause on it because we're trying to open all these retail stores in New York City and things were really blowing up. And well, they're putting a pause on my book. This is like what I'm planning to do in 2020. And so at that moment in time, 
I was on task forces for a lot of other clients looking at how do we make relevant positioning of products and delivery of services for their brands for survival. And I was talking to leaders and I said, how are you even trying to approach this? This, this thing is mind-bogglingly complex. And as I asked that question, we had these really meaningful dialogues, which prompted me to say, aha, there's something to this. There's a lot of people struggling here and a lot of people doing their best. And maybe we could learn something uh, from it. And so I then contacted my publisher and I said, we're on pause anyway. So what if we created a different product? How about we do a book about how leaders are trying to cope with adversity? And I'll leave it at that. But suffice it to say that required all kinds of product review at the publishing board level and lots of discussions, but an expedited approach to a book that'll be out in December. And it sounds like that is an expedited schedule compared to what you normally do and what you had planned to do with Godiva. So any insights just about that process too? It's like, okay, I'm going to speed up what I'm used to doing, what my pace is. I'm not interacting with one company. I'm now interacting with, I don't know, over a hundred you know, leaders. Yeah, of companies. 140, 140. Yeah. So the answer is really, I don't know how it happened, except necessity is the mother of invention, really. Right. So once we established that the book was going to happen, we knew it had to come out in a timely way. It had to be probably in 2020 to be relevant. We didn't know how long this thing was going to go or any of that, but we knew its relevance probably was linked to 2020 at least. So that expedited the production schedule. So me, normally a brand like Godiva, I had four or five years relationship with them. So I had all that backstory. Plus I researched for about six months and then I write for about six months. And then it takes about six months to publish, produce the book, find it, distribute it. So this one is, you know, signed the agreement, probably wrote it in, I think, six weeks. Hmm. So from six months to six weeks. Now I wasn't researching and writing. I wasn't researching and then writing. I was researching and writing. And so 140 different leaders and, you know, a book the same size as everything else I ever produced, we didn't shorten it or make the words bigger. That would have been good. That would have been really good. <laughs> we didn't do any of that. So at the end of it all, it meant 20 hour days and 20 hour days. So and that's not a great way to have to be creative. But it was, you know, I think we're running on adrenaline and on a deadline. And mm -hmm. I'm proud of the book. It's not like I'm going to read it and go, wow, I wish I had slept. And, and I'm sure I'm sure we all <laughs> running into some of that, right? Made sense, right? If I had slept, that would have not been a partial sentence. No, it's, you know, thank God for editors. Well, you've got a lot of work in there as well. So a, a change to the normal process, which a lot of us are dealing with, right? And we're dealing with that because we have new things to respond to. I know product managers who have COVID projects that they have had to be part of, right? That that's impacted their specific plans and have sped up some things they needed to do and delayed other things. And this is impacting all of us in uh, different ways. And it's certainly a, a challenge. Interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. 
If you have a group of five to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just nine weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Talking about product managers specifically, one thing that we are accustomed to operating in is an environment of uncertainty. Right, and we're trying, just as you were doing research, understanding what the, these leaders are dealing with. We're always doing some kind of research, maybe in the form of experiments, to validate where we think we're going, make sure we're offering the right value for customers, that our solution will will be valuable to them, and they'll want to buy it. This year has taken that to a whole new level, right? We're all dealing with uncertainty in, in many more ways. What have you learned through through this process and talking to these leaders about managing uncertainty? Well, yeah, I think a lot of them didn't know how to do that. I mean, at the C-suite, you would think that they would know how to manage uncertainty. But I think there's an illusion of certainty that you have the higher up in an organization you go, right? I mean, obviously, you know what's going on because that's where you sit. And if there's an expectation, you know what's going on. And so it was interesting to watch many of them really wrestle with a different kind of uncertainty. They it's hard for them to imagine that a you know microorganism one one thousandth the width of a human hair could almost dislodge into our organization. So let's take a leader from the Marriott. I have a president from the Marriott on. You know they were trying to figure out how are we going to deal with an environment where nobody seems to be traveling and there's nobody in our hotels and we have all these employees that we're going to have to furlough. And I take that and flip it over and I you know talk to a president over at Microsoft and he was in charge of Teams. And his question was, how do we take a product that we've developed and be able to scale it and service it when the deployment and application of it is far greater and far faster than we would have ever imagined? So they were extremes of these uncertainties, right? And I think in both cases, whether you're on the shrinking or growing side of the equation, these leaders were trying to grab onto something that they could rely on. In some cases, that was consumer data. You know, it was really a, a large part of the iterative design that most you know product managers are very comfortable with. They were doing this on warp speed. They were agile beyond agile. And for some of those brands, that's just not part of their DNA. A lot of, of big questions there, right? So, the, you know, Marriott, how do we survive coming out of this? Things have changed. Microsoft, Zoom was in the same boat. You know, how, how do we scale a product that people suddenly, everyone wants, and how do we make it reliable for them and make it a good experience? Th- th- those are big factors that are challenging to deal with. The What you said about C-suite leaders not necessarily being accustomed to uncertainty. I, I think probably a lot of us as product managers see that more because we recognize the C-suite is really there to optimize our organization. And that's in part why innovation is challenging because the, that means there's more uncertainty we're, we're bringing to the organization. Can you share any more details about maybe an example that you're particularly fond of, either Marriott, Microsoft, or something else, about how they kind of you know, ran up against this wall and, and navigated it? Yeah, I think that the, the leaders would tell you from a cognitive perspective where they were going. And a lot of this was, I, I, I call it in the book, to follow the terrain. 
So a lot of these people had, you know, like a digital transformation roadmap and they were on the roadmap and the map said they had to do these things. But suddenly the map and the terrain diverged. I mean, the the realities of the marketplace, the supply chain, any number of other variables made it such that they could not, you know, act on the timelines that were specified. Either they had to, you know, accelerate them or they didn't have the capital to do things that they really needed to do to survive because they hadn't done the infrastructure work to put them in a position. It was just, it was crazy. But ultimately, when you have a divergence of your roadmap and the terrain, now you have to get very granular and watch the terrain, watch it with every bit of vigilance you can. You got you to gotta feel for your way in this morass of confusion. So what you saw is a lot more uh, s- sampling the voice of teammates, the voice of the consumers. There were much more pulse surveying going on. There was much more effort to formally listen to the imminent need states. And, and part of the problem, and I'll just, you know, I, I was dealing with somebody from Time Warner and they were in the market research piece of it all. And they were telling you that the, the, even then the volatility of consumer messaging was so great. It was hard to tell signal from noise. My hmm. point being is that these people did everything in their power to now become obsessed with the data that was in front of them. Sometimes it was hard to read, but they were very focused on it and stopped thinking about the roadmap that they were on. And, and that, that may not be a good enough answer to your question, but what I can tell you was a fundamental shift in stop thinking about what we said we we're going to do, how we always did it. And now let's start looking at what the signals are from the environment as best we can discern them. Mm-hmm. I like the at least the word picture right there, the separation of the roadmap from the terrain. And when the terrain, the environment that we're working in all of a sudden changed drastically, we had to respond and, and not go down the same roadmap as before. And I've seen many leaders respond to this in, in different ways, right? So some organizations no longer exist or, or probably or will not make it back. Other leaders looked at this from the perspective you know, like even the business you're in of, you know, your business in the past has relied on speaking and being able to do workshops and obviously meeting with organizations to do to, to in-depth research. And organizations like that, that all of a sudden don't have workshops they can do anymore. They don't have keynote events they can go be part of, you know, where, where are they left? And some of these organizations responded and said, well, are there more problems today than there were before? And if there's more problems, then what is our place in that, right? How can we serve? And I've seen some organizations grow drastically in a very unexpected time to do so. In the book, I believe you talk about rapid innovation as a way of, you know, as one of the things that you saw people doing to respond to this. They're, they're changing and not accepting how they have been doing things. Talk to a little bit about rapid innovation and how that showed up. Yeah, I think there's there's two places for that for me. One is that, you know, at the end of it all, you were either going to take that mouth punch that that Mike Tyson referenced, and you were going to just try to hold on for the round. Mm-hmm. Some people may have even tried to hold on to win the fight, but they didn't know that they would survive past the fight. And then there were those that I think were playing another fight up ahead. The, the mindset for those organizations that said, we have an opportunity in adversity was very, I think it's unusual. I think it's a differentiator. I think there were plenty of people who became more myopic, who said, I just need to get from here to there. I can't get distracted. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And then there were other people who said, what's happening on the side here where I might have some opportunities or resources? So 
what, what I, I saw happening for the organizations that were doing that, they were investing in those times into opportunities that presented themselves for need. And mm -hmm. in my world, for example, I was investing more in the technologies to be able to use green screens and lighting and all the other things that would enable me to become a more effective virtual presenter and getting certified by organizations that were actually out in front of certifying speakers who had done a very good job on the stage now to be able to demonstrate they had the bandwidth and the chops and the multi-cameras and the switchers and all the other things that would create intrigue and a compelling visual in this format. So what I really do believe is, you know, we were, we were investing in those technologies. We had already a platform for that, but not on the scale we needed in order to even compete if that's where the world was going. And that's the same story. I mean, I share my personal story, but it's the same story I heard over and over again from leaders who are coming through this, who saw opportunities on the periphery and empowered their people to say, you have the reins. I have a, I'm just going on here a bit, but I have a leadership concept in the book where leaders told me a lot about what I liken to a horse herd, a wild horse herd, which they still are some in your native area of Colorado, but wild horse herds have a, have an alpha mare who leads the herd, have an alpha sire in the back, and they have some horses in the herd that shape the behavior of the pack. And what I heard from these folks was that sometimes you got to be out front. You got to say, visionary, we were going to take this hill. This is our best strategy to get us from here to there. It is survival, but we're going to go beyond our boundaries. Then you've got somebody in the back who's basically saying, you guys got to figure this out. You know, I'm not going to lead you through this. You are smart. You're closest to the action. You know what customers want. You know what our products can do. You need to innovate some solutions based on what's happening in the world right now. So go for it. I'm here behind you, nurturing, encouraging you, saying, giddy up, whatever I need to do to move the pace of the pack. But it was a lot of those leaders in the pack that made it happen. Sometimes these leaders had to fall back and be part of these action teams with them. They had to say, I'm no better than you. I'm not going to ask you to do something I don't do. I'm in here with you, rolling up my sleeves. Right. We're going to think through this together. Yeah. And they have no more information. They may have more experience, but this is a different time, right? Yeah. And now they are getting me, they're being asked to, or they may not being asked, but they're being forced to have to innovate to change the organization. When leaders go through in the past before COVID, I've seen leaders transform organizations, right, to reach higher performance. And in the process, we often see the leader themselves go through a kind of a personal transformation. And I think COVID has caused transformations on all of us, you know, to some extent. We're, we're not just buying those green screens and more cameras, right? We're dealing with kids being at home and homeschooling uh, that we may not be used to and everything else. I'm curious what you heard in the discussions or maybe observed about leaders themselves changing through this process? So uh, let me give you the head of uh, Farmers Insurance, the bump, 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 bump people. Yep. Jeff Daly is the CEO over there. And so, and I've worked with them in the past. And when I called him up on this thing, he said, well, Joseph, I think I'm just more vulnerable, more humble than I've ever been before. I mean, I think that this was the great leveler for humility in organizations. So he gave an example of just going to his people and saying, I want to apologize to you all because my team came to me and said early on that premiums should could be refunded. A portion of those premiums could be refunded to auto insured because there's going to be less accidents. And I said to them, I'm so, I've got so many stakeholders in play. 
I want to make sure that we're solvent in an extra special way. So I want to sock some of that away, knowing that we'll probably have some windfall there. The next week, USAA comes out with a give back to, you know, to their shareholders and the auto, the auto insured. And immediately, you know, farmers is a fast follower behind the innovator, USAA. When in truth, farmers had a clear path to that innovation. So he apologized for not listening to his team. And he mm. did that in front of his entire organization. He would not have imagined doing that before COVID. And, and I think that was a transformation to him because his engagement scores among employees from pulse surveys went up meteorically. The levels of engagement in demonstrated discretionary effort went up appreciably. And what is the lesson here is people don't really like to follow perfect people. You know, perfect people, we look for their imperfections to show them that they were wrong when they were so haughty and uppity. You know, if you're real and you're authentic and you're vulnerable and you admit your mistakes and you show that you use reason judgment, albeit wasn't didn't quite hit the mark, most human beings will follow you uh, because they know that you'll permit them to be that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great example. It's particularly interesting to me that it's in a very risk adverse industry that you chose that example, right? And insurance companies tend to uh, not change very quickly at all and avoid risk at all costs. And they have groups that even uh, do that for the organization. Um, the What also stands out there is the, the leader, the CEO, admitting, you know, I made a mistake here, right? And I think the, when I think back on the leaders that I most respect, I can identify specific times where the leader said something like that. And the first time it usually happens, it takes me back a little bit like, oh, you don't have all the answers? Well, of course not, right? (laughs) And in a time like this, we're all learning. Yeah, and the head of uh, FTD, the floral company, was actually appointed during COVID. Like, he never met any of his team. (laughs) <laughs> when he came on board and his message to them was no hiding bad news, no mm-hmm. hiding bad news. That was the only like he m- just chanted that mantra. He was really concerned that people didn't know him well enough to know that it was OK to tell the truth about the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. How can we make things better if we don't recognize what the problems are? Yeah. I've also noticed that some organizations during this time are using it as a moment to be more reflective, right? And so I do the, do this thing called the RPM experience, the Rapid Product Master Experience. And one organization that wanted to bring me in when, and this is all virtual already, so that works out really well, but they weren't sure what their budget looked like anymore, right? And so things were on hold for a few months, and then, then we got reengaged and had the opportunity to help them through this nine-week program I do. And I, we're still, we're getting close to being wrapped up, but I've just been amazed at how reflective the leaders have been. And it's been an exceptionally good group because of that. And they're taking the opportunity to kind of rethink what is our big strategy? And do all all of the different groups that we work with, do they understand that? Are we on the same page or not? And using this moment to kind of, I think, be more reflective and talk about what does it really mean to be in this organization? It's an important time for that. At least it has been for them. Well, I think when when employment can cause death, when customer uh, engagement can cause death, I think suddenly you have to think about everything slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. The stakes are risen. And as you said before, you know, one of the things that the organizations were doing paid a lot more attention to conversations with employees and customers and partners. And the, the tone of those conversations changed. 
Right. Yeah, we, we said in the book, we have a principle in the book, practice employee obsession. I don't think, that, you know, leaders weren't obsessed by their employees. Some of them debated whether the employee should come first or the customer. In the end, I think this has really caused us to realize we need to be very vigilant and focused on things that really matter, which are people, the people build the processes and the technologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always had a bit of that debate in my mind about what's more important to the organization, the customers or the employees. And I admit I've leaned on the side of customers for much of my career, that that's who we're serving, that's who we're creating value for. And I just kind of take it for granted that we're all in it for that same reason, right? That we want to create value for the customer. It turns out we're not all in it for the same reason. And um, recognizing that uh, organization with great employees, they'll create customers uh, that are happy with what we're doing. Yeah, and I think it's a false choice. And if you're, mm-hmm. you're a good leader, you remind those people you take care of that they have an obligation to do the same for the customer. If you mistreat your employees and tell them to take care of the customer and it's our priority, there's no getting there. So right. I think it starts with taking care of your people and then encouraging them, helping them see that they need to pass it forward. Okay. So one more question for you related to what you've learned from the writings here. Times of crisis that we're going through, this happens at different points in life, but right now COVID is the big one that's on everyone's mind. When normal around us seems to be changing, how do we, how can we do a better job of taking care of ourselves I've seen some people, especially in the early days of this, you know, really kind of spiraling out of control. They're listening to news all the time. They're on social media and their world is just consumed with how terrible things are going and others doing a much better job responding to it and helping to encourage those around them. What, what have you learned through this? You know, one of the principles in the book is put your mask on first. And I didn't mean the mask that's so controversial. I meant kind of in the metaphoric flight attendant instruction, right? This Mm. was going to be a marathon. It's been probably more of a marathon than many of us had anticipated. And with a marathon, it is about being able to condition yourself and take care of yourself. It's also inevitable that first, if you think it's a sprint, you're going to behave like that. And so you have to forgive yourself for thinking that. You just have to, you know, every day re-choose. You know, what's today going to be about? What am I going to focus on? There's enough negative news every news cycle that if that's what you want to focus on, you can choose every day to be completely miserable. I guarantee you'll find enough data. And the alternative is if I'm wrong and the world is going to be okay tomorrow, uh, I'll live with that, that illusion. But I also don't want to live with a false narrative. I want to have an honest lullaby that says it's going to be difficult, but there's great wonder in achieving and accomplishing and getting stronger through adversity. And for innovators, these are times when times of uncertainty, where often our best self comes out, right? And because of the necessity, we find uh, new opportunities and ways we can create more value for those that we serve. Um, and I hope in the process, encourage those around us too, right? Like you said, not a false narrative, but there's reason for hope still. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're more valuable than ever. May the world be populated by innovators because we need you right now more than ever. Yeah. If organizations are transforming and having to pivot and find out new ways of generating revenue, generating value for the customers, we as innovators are the ones who can help lead that. Yeah. I have a friend who doesn't like the word pivot because he says to pivot, you actually have to turn your back on something. I don't know if that's true functionally, (laughs) but if that's true, you know, it's always this notion of keep your eyes forward and help people find the options ahead of you. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Okay. Thank you for all the information about the uh, new book and the project that you've worked on here, Stronger Through Adversity. As listeners know, I love innovation. Sometimes it comes in the way of a success quote. What do you have for us? There is a better way to do it, he said. 
And then he went on to say, find it. And he found one, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, a better way to make a light bulb, apparently, among yeah. some other things as well. So. Yeah, or, or steal someone else's idea. There's some debate, I think, about whether he was fully responsible. But, but there's still a better way to do it. And if every day that's the way we think mm -hmm. uh, and we constantly look for ways to make things better, we're innovators. Yeah, it's very good. And as far as the book goes, other resources you have, you have a rich history of resources when it comes to helping organizations get better, perform at a higher level. How can people find out about your work and find out about the book? Yeah, we're really sadly give away everything free thing. I mean, you'll find LinkedIn lives, you'll find it, you know, all kinds of stuff on our website or just look my name up. I, I'm pretty much go by my name and everything that happens. So it's uh, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I. -L -L -I. And then the book itself, uh, Stronger Through Adversity, you can find the book just through that name, Stronger Through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, Adversity, StrongerThroughAdversity.com. Okay, I'll make sure that there are links to those resources in the show notes. Dr. Joseph Michelli, thank you once again for spending time with us. And interesting story just about your personal pivot, in a sense, this year, um, looking at the work that you do differently and what came out of that, right? So new opportunity, a new resource for us. Thank you, Chad, for all you do and in inspiring us to make greater solutions for the world. Thanks for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Find all the written notes, that summary of the great discussion with Joseph, the insights he shared, at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 310. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.